Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Over the last few weeks, we've watched the world shut down. Familiar places have closed, lifestyles have changed, routines have been upended, monumental life events have passed without the recognition they deserve. And many of us are left wondering, will life ever return to normal? Whatever tomorrow brings, we can count on one thing. With God, the best is always yet to come. In this season of shutdown, we've been given an opportunity prepare for a new beginning. So let's take this time to get ready to restart. Wow, life as we know it is basically shut down right now, isn't it? You know, my mother's 95 and I haven't been able to see her for over a month because the facility that she's in is in lockdown. The Patients can't get out, and those who love them can't get in right now. But we talk on the phone several times every day. And every time we talk on the phone, she says the same thing. She says, I've never seen anything like this. And she's right. You think about what she's seen in her lifetime. She's seen the Great Depression, World War II, the polio epidemic, 9-11, and a dozen or so other calamities. And she makes the point. None of those shut down schools, stopped church services, sent people home from work, and closed stores. So for all of us who are much younger, let's lean in and embrace the fact that we've never seen anything like this. And there's one more thing that keeps getting my attention. This thing is global, and life as we know it is shut down. Well, today at New Spring, we begin a brand new series, and, and I have to tell you, it's not the one that I have planned. God willing, we'll do that this coming summer. But even though we're in a shutdown today, we're going to turn around in this series and look ahead to the restart because we know that that restart is coming. In fact, that's what this series is called. It's called Restart, Moving On After Life Shuts Down. The reason why this is going to be so much fun is our God is into restart. For those of you who've been at New Spring through the years, you've heard me say this so many times. The thing I love best about God is that God will let you start over. You know, even your best friends will remember your mistakes from the past, but only God, when we come to him and ask his forgiveness, God will wipe the slate clean and let us start all over. So God's in the restart. In fact, you know, if our Bibles had a tagline under Holy Bible, it might be restart because this whole book is about restart. Well, in the next few weeks, I'm going to be bringing to you, as I'll say in a few moments, the principles of Restart, but there is a key verse to this series, and every message, we're going to begin with this verse, and my prayer is that you'll fall in love with it. Maybe you'll even mark it in your Bible. I know some of us mark our Bibles, and some of you don't want to, but I I like to mark my Bible because when I come across that verse again, I want to see what I thought about it the last time I read it. So my prayer is that you'll fall in love with this very, very special couple of verses. Now, before we read the verse, here's what's going on in this chapter, Isaiah 43. God is talking to his people about what he's done for them in the past. In fact, right before this verse, God talks about opening the Red Sea as he did for Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Now, 
Let's pick up this couple of verses that we're going to look at every week. God said, forget all that. (laughs) I don't think he really wanted them to forget his miracle. He's just saying what we see next. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Don't you love that? God is saying, hey, forget the past because my work in the past is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. He said in verse 19, for I'm about to do something new. I love that. And then look at this. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? And then two promises. God said, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Let's go through that one more time. Let's look at that entire section of verses. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Mark these in your Bible. We're going to come back to it week after week in this series restart. God says, forget about all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. I think that's my favorite line. In fact, that's what we'll be talking about today. God says, see, I've already begun it. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the desert or the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Well, in this series, we're going to be looking at principles, the principles of restart. As a God follower, I love principles. You know, when you open the Bible, there are commands and there is instruction. But one of the things that I always look for are the Bible principles. Now, Principles are like God's truths that he spun into the universe that work in any given situation. If you discover God's principles, they'll be effective at work, they'll be effective in your parenting. If you have kids, they'll be effective in your relationships. For instance, uh, let me give you a principle that would work in every situation. The principle of servant leadership. We talked about this in our Red Letters, the Question series. Jesus says, and the Bible, of course, says throughout, that if you want to be great, be willing to become everyone's servant. Now, that's a principle. It will work in any situation. If you're married, servant leadership will work. If you're a parent, it will work. If you go to the workplace, if you're a servant leader, it will work. So it's just a principle that God is, it's it's a life truth that God has spun into the universe that will work in any situation. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing on the principles of restart. So whether you're looking at restarting back with your job, some of you will be starting new companies when this is over. If you're looking at getting your family back into the fast lane of life, it will, these principles will work in those situations. So today, we're going to look at the first of these restart principles, and we're going to learn, and here it is, even though we're shut down, it's not too early to plan the restart. This is so big, because it is human nature to feel like, well, when everything goes back to normal, then I'll restart. But that's too late, because we don't even know what the new normal is going to be. Principle number one, here it is. Start your restart in the shutdown. One more time. Start your restart in the shutdown. If you have your Bibles or if you have an electronic device that has a Bible on it, we're going now to one of the most loved verses in the Bible. Let me read the whole verse to you. It's Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Wow, that verse screams restart to me. God said, I know the plans I have. 
They're plans for good, not for disaster. And we feel like we're in a disaster right now. But God said, that's not what my plans are for. My plans are to get you looking forward to give you a future and a hope. Now, we love this verse because it's beautiful. But make no mistake about it. When you look at the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, God spoke this verse to his people in a very painful time. In fact, a quintessential shutdown. Can I say that one more time? Jeremiah 29, 11, as beautiful as it is, we have it on our walls. You know, we, we wear jewelry, some of us who have this verse uh, in it. But let's not forget, God spoke this verse in the quintessential shutdown for the people of God. Here's the backstory. When you look at what's written in the book of Jeremiah, it's written in the context of God's people going into captivity, being shut down. Judah, the southern kingdom, the southern half of Israel, had been warned for centuries that if they didn't stop worshiping their idols, wow, this is a little bit into our world today. God had warned them if they didn't stop worshiping idols, things that they love more than God, that there would be a shutdown. And God got specific about the shutdown. He said, if you don't quit worshiping your idols, I'm going to let you go into captivity to the Babylonians. And they thought, never in a million years would God let them go into captivity to the Babylonians. See, they thought, we're the good people. And Babylon, if you study history in the Bible or prophecy, Babylon has always been representative of the anti-God culture. Um, it starts back in the book of Genesis. And even in the last day's prophecy about the Antichrist kingdom, it's called Babylon. So it, it would be like, we're God's people. We live in Judah. Jerusalem is our, is our center of worship. The temple is there. And God is saying, if you don't stop worshiping stuff that you love more than me, I'm going to let you be shut down by the anti-God culture. And they thought, of course, never in a million years. Well, when you open the book of Jeremiah, the time was coming where God had said, the warnings are over. I mean, the time for turning has passed. The warnings are over. The train has left the station. It's going to happen. It won't do any good to change your way of thinking right now because God has said, I've already allowed Babylon to start the process. So think about this for just a moment. Start putting that juxtaposition together. God is saying to a group of people, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a future and a hope. And yet you just heard that this happened at a really dark time. What's the story? Well, you have to go 11 chapters earlier in Jeremiah. There were people in Judah who still worshiped God. They didn't worship idols. They just unfortunately had to live in a place where a lot of people did the wrong thing. But there were people trying to do the right thing. I mean, I think, not to overplay this, but I'm guessing that I'm talking to a lot of you who are in that situation in your world today, if you're watching in the United States or some other nation around the world, you're in a culture that is anti-God, that's worshiping idols, but you're trying to do the right thing. You're still worshiping God. Well, we need to understand Jeremiah 29, 11 was spoken to these people who, even though they had lived in Judah, they were still trying to do the right thing. And now God is going to tell them the most unusual thing. Now, one more time, these are the people whom God is going to speak Jeremiah 29, 11 to Here's what he says to them, except the shutdown. 
That's the last thing they want to hear. But God is saying, accept the shutdown. Go on to Babylon. In fact, God says, everyone who surrenders to the Babylonians will live. Everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die. That, that would have seemed exactly backward to them. Because they would have thought God would have said, if you go out and you surrender to the Babylonians, you're going to die. But if you stay in the holy city of Jerusalem, everything is going to be okay. But now God is saying the reverse of that. Because, you know, here's the thing. If people rebel against God long enough, up will be down and down will be up. So do you know who Jeremiah 29, 11 was written to? That beautiful verse. God was writing Jeremiah 29, 11 to the people who had obediently accepted the shutdown and moved to Babylon. Man, don't you know that now that these Jewish people, these fine believers are relocated in Babylon, don't you know that they said to each other what my mom is saying? Don't you know they said, we've never seen anything like this before. Don't you know they said, wow, I never thought I would live to see the day when God's people lived in Babylon. But remember our verse? God said, for I know the plans I have for you. Their plans were good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. You know, there are beautiful words in Jeremiah 29, 11, but the most important word is the first word, F-O-R, for. Or a synonym for that would be because. In other words, everything that God promises in Jeremiah 29, 11 is based on something that he just said right before that. In other words, he's saying, because I know the plans that I have for you. Well, what does God say right before that? All you have to do, scroll back to the beginning of the chapter, pick it up in verse four. Let's read. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says to all the captives. He's exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. All of you in the shutdown. Look at what he says. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Don't dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Now this one really had to freak out the people from Judah. They're like saying, God, are you asking us to pray for Babylon? And God says, yeah, pray to the Lord for it because its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, of course, verse 10 is where this comparison breaks down because we're not in Babylon. It's not going to be 70 years, I pray, like the Jewish people experienced. But I want us to just hear the principle and see how it applies to us. But let's go ahead and read verse 10. The Bible says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. In other words, it's going to be a duration. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised, and I will bring you home again. Now, one more time. We're not in Babylon. It's not going to be 70 years. I hope it's not even 70 more days. But God is just saying, look, I've relocated you. You're in a shutdown. It's going to last a while. Get on with your life. Here is the principle that's inescapable, and it's our principle for today. God is saying to the people, I know life is shut down for you. But go ahead and start your restart in the shutdown. Now watch how Jeremiah 29, 11 fits. God says, because I know the plans that I have for you. Now, what God is talking about here isn't easy, but the good news is it's real, real simple. God is saying to the people in Judah who are now relocated to Babylon, and it's what we need to hear. 
that in a shutdown, there's stuff that we do and there's stuff that God does. And it's imperative that we keep that separate. One more time, in a shutdown, there's stuff that we can do and there's stuff that only God can do. And God is saying to them, just keep it separate. Now, here's what God is showing them and what God is showing us by extension, those of us who live in 2020 and we're in the shutdown over the coronavirus, these four things that God is saying to the people of Judah, here is what you do. Number one, God is saying, obey God. That's key because these people had obeyed God and they had been willing to say, all right, we're going to accept the shutdown. We're going to Babylon like we've been told to do. And that's the first thing I learned. In a shutdown, it's really important to obey God. Are you like me and you're tired of hearing all these voices that come from every spectrum that basically say nothing? I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be political because this thing is global. But one of the things that is so apparent to me is that political leaders don't know what to do. In fact, it's like in order to get attention, they, all they can do is sort of shut down more and more and more. And I know that there's, a, there's reason behind shutdown, but it's, it's as if they don't know how to help. And so consequently, they just seem to be filling the air with words. And my prayer is for them that they will be successful. But as I pray for our leaders, what is imperative is that I obey God. That's where we really begin to restart when we recognize our importance to obey God. Hey, I can't heal the coronavirus. I can't restart the economy. But you know what I can do? I can love my wife. I can love my kids and my grandkids. I can, I can pray. I can read God's word. I can do everything I can to be a blessing to other people. I mean, we could just go up and down the list of things that God instructs us to do. And we recognize that even though, as I said, we can't heal the virus, we can't create a vaccine, we can't put everybody back to work. But what I can do is I can obey what God says to me today. Secondly, God says to them, accept reality. Reality can be painful. And sometimes we want to deny reality or take things into our own hands. And God is saying to them, you're going to be in Babylon for a while. You accept reality. The third one is massive. And it's the key to restarting inside the shutdown. And God says to the people of Judah, seize available opportunities. In other words, there's a lot of stuff that you would like to do, but you can't do right now in the shutdown. But God is saying there are things that you can do and seize those available opportunities. God said to them, plant gardens, get married, have kids, have grandkids, because they were there 70 years. God was saying, even though you live in Babylon, there are available opportunities. I don't know how this translates to your life, but my guess is you do. Because even right now, it's so easy to focus on what we can't do. How about focusing on what we can do? So let me go through the first three again. Obey God, accept reality, seize available opportunities, and then leave the rest to God. Because remember, it's important for us to keep straight the difference between what we can change and what we can't change. Now, go back and look at Jeremiah 29, 11 again. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. God is saying, we can do what we do. Because he is busy doing what he is doing. Now, 
I want us to take just a few moments to look at that line that so many of us love from Jeremiah 29, 11. And the promise or the statement that God makes here really has four parts, and I've got them color-coded uh, so that we'll keep these, these parts separate enough to look at them a little bit. God says, I know the plans I have for you. One more time. I know the plans I have for you. Well, let's take just a moment to look at each one of those. And we'll start with the words, I have. God said, I know the plans I have for you. Well, this is really important for Mark because I am by nature a planner. I am by nature someone who wants to line out everything that I'm going to be doing. But it's important for me to remember that the plans that matter are the plans that God has for me. You know what? That's okay. If life doesn't work out the way we plan, but works out the way God plans, we're going to be advantaged. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. Well, that's pretty big because I can ask for big things, but the verse doesn't stop there. The Bible says God's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. See, that's the problem with my plans. My plans are limited by my imagination. But God said, I know the plans that I have for you. And the beauty is God is able to do so much more than we can imagine. Second part of that statement. God said, I know the plans I have for you. Wow. This is magnificent. Because now it becomes personal. God is saying to every one of you watching this, I know the plans that I have for you personally. It's so wonderful that we have a God who knows the number of hairs on our head, but the beautiful thing is he knows what's going on inside our head, and God says, I know the plans that I have for you personally. And then the next part of speech, God said, I know the plans I have for you. Years ago when I was studying Jeremiah 29, 11, I came across something beautiful. The word for know, K-N-O-W there, the word for know means to know from seeing. You know, there are things I know to be true, but I've never seen those things. I mean, there are parts of the world. I mean, for instance, I know there are such places, Cairo, Egypt, but I've never seen it. I've seen pictures. But when it comes to the future, what's beautiful, God is smiling. He's saying, I know the plans that I have for you, Mark, and I've seen them personally. You know, uh, I've told this story so many times through the years, but my dad, who's now in heaven, when I was growing up, um, he couldn't keep a secret, and especially around Christmas, it got really bad because uh, my parents would wrap up my Christmas presents and put them under the tree at the beginning of December, and, and I would see them on the floor there. And Dad was so excited for me to open the presents that he had bought for me, he couldn't keep a secret. And I knew it, and I played him. I I'm, I'm, feel terrible about this, but I used to play him. And I would start asking him questions about what's in a particular box or whatever. And I'd ask him questions. I knew what I was suggesting wasn't in there. I just wanted to get him into answering my questions in the rhythm. But if I ever started getting close, I would see this big grin break out on my dad's face. And I knew I had him. Because he was so excited about what he got for me, he couldn't keep himself from smiling. Whenever I think about this verse, I think about that situation. Because see, here's the thing, as painful as what we're going through might be right now, if we could see the face of our God, he would be smiling because God is saying, 
I know, I've seen the plans that I have for you. I know what's under the wrapping paper. And then another word that I fell in love with as I studied Jeremiah 29, 11 is this fourth part where God said, I know the plans that I have for you. Well, that word plan comes from a very interesting concept. In fact, the closest thing we have to it in our English language is the word machinations. What's the root word of machinations? It's machine. Here in Kansas, we build a lot of the world's airplanes, and there's a lot of other manufacturing. So we have a lot of engineers here. And engineers, they put They design pieces and they put them together. You know what? Here's the deal. If a lot of us could see the pieces of a jet aircraft, we could see an individual piece, we wouldn't recognize it for what it is because we're looking for a jet plane, but it's some piece that doesn't seem to have any significance. And that's what God is saying about the plans that he has for us. He's saying, you may not understand what's going on in your life right now, but God is saying, I know how the plans fit together. I know the plans I have for you. Maybe it's a good time right now while we're talking about plans to look at the rest of God's promise. God says the plans that he has are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So here's what we're learning today about starting the restart in the shutdown. God is saying, you obey me, you accept reality, you seize available opportunities and trust the rest that I have and trust the rest to me because I know the plans that I have for you. So let's get to a bottom line right now. Based on everything we've looked at so far, if you follow Jesus, I can tell you it's going to be okay. Now, frankly, a lot of the people that say everything's going to be okay, I feel like they're blowing sunshine at me. But based on what we just saw from the word of God, for all of us who are stressed out about this thing, if you follow Jesus, I can promise you it's really going to be okay. And you can go ahead and start your restart in the shutdown. What would that look like practically? Can I tell you a personal story? I mean, these are the ones that I know best. And I'm not telling personal stories because I'm any different from anyone else. It's just that I know my stories and I know my life. And, and the reason I share this story with you is I pray that it'll, it'll connect with you and maybe help you process something that you're going through right now. Because we've said everything up till now to make the point that even in the shutdown, The restart begins. Well, let me just back up a little bit and tell you that uh, I started preaching when I was 16. Um, I went to Bible college and graduated and actually started pastoring when I was uh, 20 years old. But right after I graduated from college, I was invited to serve an inner city church in Houston, Texas. And I love that church and I love the city of Houston. I still do. And as I said, it was inner city. I mean, the area where the church was located was a church where there was a lot of crime and a lot of danger. And I used to go out and walk the streets day and night and share Jesus with people. And, you know, the people from the church there who loved me, knowing that part of Houston better than I did, they used to plead with me and they would say, they called me Brother Mark. It was in the South. They'd say, Brother Mark, please don't go down there by yourself at night. But I never was afraid. 
And God just changed so many lives. But not to bore you with the details, there was a problem in that church. The lead pastor that I worked with, who was quite a bit older than I, at that time I think I was like 22 or 23, and he was in his 60s, and we didn't understand mental illness quite as much as we do today. And he suffered from a severe um, mental and emotional problem. And it got to be, let's just say it got to be very difficult. And it got to be personal with me. And I didn't want to do anything that might create difficulty for that church. And so I just quietly resigned. And Mary Alice and I moved away from Houston. And and my home church in Fort Worth had been after me for a long time to come and serve on that staff. And it was a church where my dad pastored. And they had watched me grow up. And they loved me. And they were so pleading for me to just come serve on their staff. And because of the difficulty that was going on in Houston... Morales and I said, well, I guess that's the thing to do. And we came back to Fort Worth. But I'm just being honest with you. It was a really painful time. Because the church I'd been in in Houston was so exciting. We were seeing great things happen. I mean, God was using me in ways that I wouldn't see him use me again for decades. And now we're back at a very static, stable, loving but a church where nothing is really happening. And be honest with you, I had a sense they didn't really need me. Well, again, I'm just sharing my story. And I pray that you'll not get taken up in my story, but just think and see if this could apply to your life. Right after we moved back to Fort Worth, something happened. My dad was a longtime pastor. He was known by a lot of other pastors in the Metroplex. And there was a pastor um, in the north part of Fort Worth, actually up probably around Keller or Wataga, if you know the area. And he woke up one day with a bad sinus headache. And on the spur of the moment, he called me and said, would you come and preach for my church today? And so I did. And I didn't think a whole lot about it. Tragically, it turned out that it was not a sinus headache. This pastor had a brain tumor. And as he was in the last part of his life, and his life ended pretty quickly, I was invited a couple of times to fill the pulpit during that season. Well, he passed, and of course, now there is a vacant church looking for a pastor. But I'm young. I'm 23, 24 years old at that time. And I should point out that this church turned out to be in what would be the fastest growing area of, that, of the Metroplex. If you know anything about it, and again, this has been probably almost 40 years ago. If you know anything about that section of Fort Worth, you know that it's grown just almost exponentially. And you could sort of see it at the time. Well, the reason why I say that was, um, after not thinking anything about it, the church contacted me. And they said, we have had over 50 resumes submitted for the pastorate of this church. And we have narrowed our search down to two pastors. And they named a man who was a contemporary of my dad. In fact, he was the same age as my dad. He pastored a church not far from where I lived. I didn't even know he was applying for it. And they said, we've narrowed our search down to him and we've narrowed our search down to you. Well, I didn't even send a resume. I'd never even applied to be pastor of that church. But there was a part of me that said, 
well, maybe this is God's will for my life. Maybe it explains why, you know, God pulled us away from Houston and brought us back to the Metroplex. And I thought, perhaps this is what this is all about. And so over the next few weeks, they asked me to come in and preach several more times. And then one evening, I got a call from the chairman of the board, who was also the head of the pulpit committee. And he said, Pastor Mark, we have decided on you. We want you to be our next pastor. And I was amazed and delighted. I had a sense of opportunity. And he said, we've decided on you. He said, our church loves you. Our church loves to hear you preach. We can't wait for you to get here. In fact, I actually had a prominent family in the church ask me if I would do a wedding for their family because the assumption was I was going to be the next pastor. But as this chairman of the board continued to talk to me, he said, now there is one more thing I want to check on to be sure. He said, you are 32, aren't you? I guess I've always looked old. I was 24. And I said, no, I'm I'm 24 years old. I heard the perceptible gasp. And he thanked me and ended the call. I would find out later that that threw the whole process into turmoil. And even though I really wasn't part of it, there were other leaders who tried to speak into the situation. The, The gentleman who was president of the college that I attended, who was a leader of the pastors in that community, reached out to that church and said, pleaded with them to go ahead and call me because they said, he said, I know Mark is 24, but he said, the experience that Mark has in his giftedness, he said, he's almost like someone who's 45. He said, you will never be disappointed if you call Mark to be your pastor. But over the next few weeks, the fact that I was 24, and now being the age that I am, I can sort of understand 24 is very young. But over the next few weeks, the idea that I was 24 caused them to change their point of view, and they called this other gentleman. And now I wound up for three more years in a church I love, but a church that probably wasn't going anywhere. And I felt like I was on the shelf. Then you say, Mark, what does all this story mean? Well, you know, those three years in which I was just waiting for life to change, God did some extraordinary things in my life. Let me tell you these real, real quickly, and maybe they'll help and they'll make sense. Jonathan was born during this time, and Mary Allison wanted to stay home from work. And so I wound up for a while being bivocational. I not only was associate pastor of my home church, but I also wound up teaching at a large private school, a large Christian school. And one of the things that I I wound up teaching, I I taught English, even though that would be hard for most people to imagine. I taught English and, and some business courses. But I wound up teaching the Bible for four years to seventh and eighth graders. Now, every day I walked in to teach the Old Testament to the eighth graders and the life of Jesus to the seventh graders. And so every day, day after day, I would open the Bible and teach. And I will tell you this, that's where I fell in love with teaching middle school because it was exciting to me. And I found out that if I found a way to make them excited about learning the Bible, well, we would both enjoy the time together. 
You know, today I'll speak in seminaries and speak to pastors. And so whenever it goes to Q&A, one of the first things that will happen is one of those young students will say, hey, Mark, where did you develop your style? Because it's not the style of the normal pastor. And I will think everything I know about preaching, I learn talking to seventh and eighth graders. Because up to that time, I preached like other preachers preached. But that taught me a whole new way of thinking. In those three years after things didn't work out the way I planned, it gave me some time to analyze what wasn't working in American churches. And oh, by the way, I started a kids' ministry. In fact, the, the, the people that had grown up with me in my home church, I challenged them to begin a kids' ministry. And when I think about what we do in kids' world today, some of the things that God taught me in that season have translated into the great growth of New Spring. Well, you say, well, Mark, what happened? You know, after that church turned you down and you had three more years in the Metroplex? <laughs> well, the very next year after that church turned me down, I started getting overtures from a church in Kansas. And I kept putting them off. They would, the pastor would call me. He had known him. He had been a college professor of mine. And he kept saying, I'm getting close to retirement. And I would love to have you come and work in a transition and be the future church, pastor of the church. And so this church in Kansas kept calling me. For three years, I put them off because it wasn't what I wanted. I was so depressed about Things not working out the way I wanted them to in Texas. I could not imagine pastoring in Kansas. But of course, 35 years ago, I came here and God has done so many wonderful things. I remember a day, I think it was the first day that we had 6,000 in attendance at New Spring. I had to drive with Mary Alice to Texas that afternoon. And it was a spring date, and the sun was up for a long time. And so we were going to go to a barbecue restaurant that we liked up in the area where that church was. And as we went to the barbecue restaurant, we passed that little building. It looked exactly like it had looked all those years ago. And that church didn't even have a website. And I thought, I just came from God's plan where 6,000 people gathered to hear the word of God. And see, I looked at what I thought would work, and God said, no, Mark, that's not what I have for you. But what's beautiful as I think back on that so many years ago was those years after that church turned me down, what felt like a shutdown may have been the most, those three or four years may have been the most important years of my life. And I have lived what I'm teaching you today. God is saying to all of us who are in the shutdown, if you obey me, if you will embrace reality, and if you will seize the available opportunities and trust me for the rest, then I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Well, we're making a start today. We're talking about restart. And over the next few weeks, if God allows, I'm going to be sharing with you the principles of restart. And I really believe if we will listen to these principles and obey them and apply our hearts to them, then we will experience God's good plans for our life. 
But I can't close out this message without talking about the ultimate restart. You know, we said a few moments ago, if there was a tagline to the Bible, it would be restart. You know, if we go back to the first shutdown, I guess you could say it was in the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they were shut down and shut out of the Garden of Eden. And God at that moment could have let his creation of human beings just dangle and spin into a black hole, but he didn't. From the very beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said to them, I have a plan. I have a plan for a future. God's plan was that someday he would send a savior into the world to live the life that Adam and Eve and you and I could not live. Jesus lived a perfect life. And then he took that perfect life and he laid it on a cross and he died for you and me. And scripture is so clear. In fact, this is the story of the Bible that anyone can have a restart. In other words, all the things that we've done wrong, all the things that we ever have done wrong, and amazingly, everything we will do wrong will not keep us out of heaven. That if anyone is willing, we could put our confidence and our trust in this champion who lived the life that we couldn't live and then died the death he died to pay for our sins. You know, last week we celebrated Easter, how he rose from the grave. And because he's alive, you can invite this Lord and Savior into your life. And you talk about a restart. It's a restart that lasts forever. And if you want to make that decision today, here's what you need to do. You need to, first of all, believe. Willingly make a choice to believe that Jesus is God and human, that he died for your sins, and that he arose from the grave. And if you're willing to trust God's plan through Jesus for your life, you can be forgiven and you can have this ultimate future and a hope in heaven. I'm going to lead you in a prayer because scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're willing to pray this prayer, then God will hear it. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he's alive, I want Jesus to be my Savior and my King. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, if you're in the United States, I have a gift I want to get to you. And it's got a Bible in this box and a book that I wrote that will help you answer a lot of questions. And all you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. If you're watching outside the United States, you can do the same thing. Text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000, and we will get you an electronic copy of this book. And our prayer is that God will help us, even though we're still in the shutdown, to help us start preparing now for the restart. May God bless you. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.